This November, I'm going back to Italy, leading a food tour there, and I want to brush up on my Italian. And for that, I'm turning to Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, Sporkful listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash sporkful. That's half off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash sporkful today. Jacques, I'm looking at your wall of pans behind you. I don't like to go into the closet and look for pans, so it's hanging. I think it's uh, it's uh, aesthetically pleasing. Uh, those are parts that I use all the time, back for, so it's easier. My wife thinks I have too many pans. Oh, okay. Well, Let's your wife doesn't know me. <laughs> This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Before we get to the show, big news. Tickets are on sale now for the first Sporkful live taping in two and a half years, and our first ever in the Bay Area. Yes, that's right, we're feeling optimistic about this virus that you may have heard a little bit about. My guest for this show will be the one and only Kenji Lopez-Alt. He's going to be sitting down for his first ever full-length Sporkful interview the same week his new cookbook all about the wok and cooking with the wok comes out. The book will be for sale, and Kenji will sign copies after the show, so this is big. Wednesday, March 9th at Swedish American Hall in San Francisco. Proof of vaccination and masks will be required. Get your tickets now at sporkful.com slash live. I can't wait to see you. All right, let's get to the show. Long before Alton Brown and Rachel Ray, before Emerald and Ina, Jacques Pepin became a household name as one of America's best-known celebrity chefs, back when that wasn't even a term. He's been teaching people how to cook for 50 years, since way before food was a whole genre of television. He's written dozens of books and hosted numerous TV shows. There is nothing as simple and as good as just a fried egg. There is a way of doing it. I mean, my way of doing it, not everyone's way, but mine. Today, at age 86, Jacques is still driven by the idea that anyone can learn to cook. And he's still showing people how, now on Instagram. What is the key to making a very good instructional video? What, what makes some better than others? If people can really relate to it, I mean, uh, for me, as I say, I'm very to the point there. I like to demystify it, peeling an asparagus, you know. So uh, in that sense, I like to break it down and say that's the important part. And even when I see my video, there is never enough close-up for me. I say, you should have had a close-up. They don't really see it. They don't have to see me. And I, you want them to show your hands. Absolutely. Right. Only my hand. At the end, if I present the dish, maybe my face, but not... Uh, right. But, but because you want people to learn. Yeah, absolutely. So while most of the top French chefs in America are serving caviar and truffles in white tablecloth restaurants, Jacques Pepin prefers to teach home cooks how to peel asparagus on Instagram. As you'll hear, he spent a lot of his life defying expectations. Back in October, I went to his house in Connecticut. We sat down in his kitchen in full view of his glorious wall of pots and pans. Jacques grew up in Bourg-en-Bresse, near Lyon, during and after World War II. When he was six, his mother took him to a farm where he would stay for the summer. When she said goodbye and left, he began to cry. To comfort him, someone who worked at the farm led Jacques to the barn to milk a cow. The milk was warm, foamy. It's his first real food memory. For Jacques, food was always a source of comfort. 
even when he got back home. For me, there is no place more secure than a kid coming back from school to sit in the kitchen. When I was a kid, you hear your mother's voice, your father, the clink of the equipment, the smell of the food that you eat, that you share. Those are very visceral memory which stay with you the rest of your life, you know, and sharing food the same way. Soon after that summer on the farm, Jacques began working at the restaurant his parents owned. He'd wash out wine bottles, peel potatoes. When he was 13, he quit school and began apprenticing in the kitchen at a fancy hotel in town. From there, he moved from one restaurant to the next, climbing the military-style ranks of French kitchens. By the time he was just 23, he'd been the personal chef to three French presidents, including Charles de Gaulle. Jacques was one of the most prominent chefs in the country. And then you left. You went to New York. Why? Well, someone introduced me and said, that man was chef to three French presidents. The three of them are dead. <laughs> so I said, I better leave. Okay. <laughs> No, Jacques wasn't actually suspected of assassinating any French presidents. He just wanted something different. He figured he'd stay in the U.S. for a year or two. He arrived in 1959, and he definitely found something different. Oreos, iceberg lettuce, jello. He loved them all. He also had his first ever supermarket experience. One stop for all his ingredients instead of five different specialty stores. Jacques' first job was cooking at Le Pavillon, a famed French restaurant in New York City. And even though he was still making French food, he found the culture in the U.S. to be less rigid, more open to experimentation. There was that type of freedom uh, in this, all kind of thing in America that I probably wouldn't have done in France. And that's why I stayed, you know, I discovered another world. You will always, if you keep your eye open, learn something different, something new, you know, and that's what makes it exciting. Soon, Jacques had earned such a reputation that he got offered another job cooking for a head of state, this time for President John F. Kennedy. Seems like a plum gig, right? But Jacques turned it down. First, he says, back then a job like that wasn't as glamorous as you'd think. The chef was hidden in the kitchen, cooking in anonymity. I had done that. I didn't want to do that again. I was doing things that I had never done, so I didn't want to leave New York. Jacques wanted to keep doing things he had never done. So he left Le Pavillon and went to work for Howard Johnson. Instead of cooking for the president, he'd be cooking for the masses. Now, you might know Howard Johnson as a roadside hotel chain with those orange roofs. But in the 50s and 60s, you could eat there, too. In fact, it was one of America's first big restaurant chains. At its peak, when Jacques was there, Howard Johnson served more meals than anyone in America except the U.S. Army. Jacques was hired as Howard Johnson's director of research and new development. In the beginning, he spent a few months getting to know the company by working as a line cook at the chain's busiest location, off a highway in Queens, New York. So he went from making cassoulet at Le Pavillon in the heart of the city to flipping burgers with a view of an exit ramp. In the Howard Johnson test kitchen, Jacques worked with food chemists, something else he had never done before. He began to blend his French training with American techniques. He replaced margarine with butter, swapped in fresh onions and potatoes for frozen or dehydrated ones, but he also embraced the microwave and became an advocate for the blender. He was having fun, experimenting and learning in the kitchen. We cut the hot dog, and you make an incision the long way. I slice it down the middle the long way. And then after uh, every quarter of an inch, the other way. Put it in a skillet that did curl up. It curled up like a round thing. Okay, if you're having trouble picturing this, when you slice a hot dog the long way, and then make tiny cuts the short way, and you cook it in a pan, the whole thing curls up into a circle. A curly dog, Jacques calls it. And we serve that on a, on a 
bun and hamburger bun or something like that. I saw that. Yeah, I, so, that's so funny. Yeah. There's a there's a brewery near my house on Long Island called Blind Bat Brewery, and that's how they serve hot dogs. I'm oh, not kidding. Yes. They must have seen that somewhere. Yes, that I did that's that so many, funny. Many, many years wow. ago. Wow. We served it on English muffin or one of those. That's how they did it on English muffin. And it's so funny because, I mean, I thought it was very clever and and fun to see a different way of doing a hot dog. Okay, well, I show it with her with English muffin. Maybe they show that. (laughs) But my eight-year-old daughter who ordered a hot dog was a little bit confused. Oh, yeah, right. (laughs) She's like, what is this? It's okay, though. Fun. For Jacques, working at a big chain was new and different. He loved that. He also loved the sheer scale of it. So we did the chicken pot pie, for example. It was the chicken and cream sauce and so forth. I started doing 10 pounds of chicken in the kitchen. Then we did 50 pounds. We had up 3,000 pounds of chicken at the time. We did, you know, 3,000 pounds of bone to do stock. I learned a great deal about uh, marketing, I mean, chemistry of food. As I said, I would never have been able to do those jobs after without the training of Howard Johnson. <laughs> In 1970, after a decade at Howard Johnson, Jacques moved on. But as he said, he took what he learned with him. Around this time, America's middle class was growing. People were going out to eat more. The pace of life was picking up. There was pressure on restaurants to serve more food faster. The classic French sauces that take hours or even days to make, it just wasn't practical. So Jacques opened a restaurant that just served soup. You ordered at a counter and got your soup with a fresh piece of bread on a tray, cafeteria style. Very democratic, as he put it. The soup restaurant brought together everything Jacques had picked up over the years. Classic French influence meets mass production meets new technology. The place was a big success, but Jacques had a falling out with his partners and it never expanded. Still, he was prescient. You can see the seeds of fast casual places like Chipotle and Shake Shack in his concept. As he told the New York Times around this period, you have to adapt to modern techniques. Some stuff is better frozen. Puff pastry bakes more reliably. As for the blender, if Escoffier were alive today, I'm sure he would use it. Yeah, I still agree with that. <laughs> Whatever I said at the time, it's true. What What do you think drives those that evolution? That you don't cook the way you used to cook. Restaurants aren't cooking the way that they used to cook. No, these things are always moving forward. Culture, art, habits. Uh, life itself, you know, the speed to the internet or stuff, all of that has an influence on the way you live and the way you live has an influence on the way you eat and the way you cook. To go to the market now, you have pre-washed spinach, you have pre-sliced mushroom, you have skinless, boneless breast of chicken, you come back, you have a non-stick pan, you put that together, you can do the same thing. Use the, the supermarket as a prep cook in a sense. May not be the least expensive way of shopping, but certainly, uh, uh, you know, it saves you a lot of uh, work. Coming up, before Jacques can figure out his next career move, an unexpected event forces him to leave restaurant kitchens forever. Then later, he tells me the best way to cook spam, and we talk more about the creative process in the kitchen and beyond. Stick around. Time to cook up some advertisements. 
few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. Dakota.com. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details, and you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas, you can taste the tahini, you can taste a little bit of acidity. It's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire-roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear boar's head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome back to The Sporkful, I'm Dan Pashman. Why do some foods taste better at room temperature? Is there really a difference between kosher salt and iodized salt? And where's the line between a simmer and a boil? Where, I ask you? If questions like this keep you up at night, I want to hear about it. We're doing a show with the authors of a new book called Food IQ. So what weird, annoying questions about cooking technique are bugging you? Record a voice memo telling us your name, where you're from, and your question, and email it to me at hello at sporkful.com. You may just use it on the show. Thanks. Now, back to Jacques Pepin. After his soup restaurant, Jacques had to figure out his next move. But before he could, he had to change course again, this time not by choice. One day, while driving, he hit a deer. His car rolled into a ravine and exploded. Doctors thought he might not be able to walk again that they might have to amputate his arm. I had 12 fractures. I broke my pelvis in five places, my two hip, my leg, uh, arm. I mean, standing 12 hours a day behind the stove wasn't possible anymore. Jacques' days in restaurant kitchens were over. But in classic Papin style, he adapted. He decided to focus on writing and teaching. He had done a bit of that, but after the accident, it became his focus. He began traveling around the country, teaching cooking classes. In 1976, he published his seminal cookbook, La Technique, a cooking Bible filled with a novel concept at the time, step-by-step photographs. Instead of recipes, La Technique was like culinary school in a book. A decade later, Jacques helped start the culinary arts program at Boston University, where he ended up teaching for more than 30 years. 
Well, I always uh, like to break down things and teach and understand why to go beyond the recipe. As a professional chef, you never look at the recipe. And you know, the, the irony is, is that when I do a recipe, uh, I start with an idea. Maybe I read something in a book. I go to the market. Oh, they are beautiful mushroom. I say, I'm going to do this, that. So I start with an idea. And I take A and B and put it in the skillet. Then all of a sudden it's different. I'm reacting to the food. So I adjust, react, adjust, react. When I start that recipe, I have total freedom. I can put anything I want in it. There is nothing written to. By the time I give you the typewritten page, everything is structured and written. So I could say on a philosophical level, at least, that the fact of writing down a recipe probably destroyed the recipe or the spirit of the recipe. Right. I think what you're getting at is that you're more interested there's a difference between teaching people a recipe and having them follow the instructions to right. make a recipe and teaching them how to cook. That's true. The recipe work or the way you explain, it doesn't really have to do with you. It has to do with whoever is listening to it. Ultimately, to do a recipe is not to duplicate a typewritten page. It's to duplicate a taste. And where the hard part of it come in for a professional chef, that you go there, it's always exactly the same at the end. So, and to have it exactly the same at the end, you have to change it each time you do it. Because when you do, if you cook a chicken, your chicken won't have exactly the same amount of fat than I am. You cook on gas, I cook on electric, you cook on uh, cast iron, I cook with copper. It's humid, it's not humid. I'm in a good mood, you're in a bad mood. <laughs> to, you know, all of that. Right. somehow are going to change tiny thing in your cooking. Just as Jacques was really getting into teaching, another new technology came along. But it wasn't a microwave or a frozen pastry crust. It was a new way to teach cooking, video. Way back in 1975, Jacques cooked on camera for the first time in a bare-bones documentary. Now we're going to do a julienne of mushroom. This goes with the fish again. In the 80s, Jacques made instructional VHS tapes for people to watch at home. By the early 90s, he was a fixture on PBS. He once filmed 105 cooking segments in two days, including maybe his most famous video of all time, How to Make an Omelette. This video still comes up on Reddit or YouTube every now and then, teaching a whole new generation how to properly whisk the eggs. So it's not like you just stir the eggs back and forth. You have to go from one hand to the other. By the late 90s, Jacques had teamed up with another giant of early food TV, Julia Child. The two had a hit show, Julia and Jacques cooking at home. Today we're going to do souffles. And as everyone knows, the heart of the good souffle is... Egg white, beaten egg white. And I'm going to do mine in copper. I beat it faster than the machine. Well, we're going to see if you're faster than the machine. All right. Joe. Okay. Wow. Oh, content. One, yes. two, three, go! <laughs> there, Jacques just kept teaching. He never stopped. In 2016, he and his family created the Jacques Pepin Foundation, which offers free culinary training to people who may struggle getting jobs, like those who've been incarcerated or unhoused. He's also never stopped learning. In his recent cookbooks, he's got recipes for fish tacos and vegetable spring rolls, right alongside recipes for French dishes like raspberry gratin, which he says you can make with frozen raspberries. Today, Jacques has embraced another new technology, taking his cooking lessons to Instagram. Dressed in a well-worn button-down shirt, sometimes with a TV on in the background, Jacques posts videos from his home kitchen. You know, I love hamburger, but I always have a hard time 
<laughs> you know, and I have a big mouth, putting that in my mouth. So I'm going to do it a bit differently for you today. When the pandemic sent many people home and into the kitchen, there was Jacques on Instagram, always, always, always stressing that you can do this. A few basic ingredients, use whatever you have around, throw it together. He did a video for Fromage Fort, a traditional French spread where you just take whatever bits and pieces of cheese you have in the fridge, cut off the rinds, put them in a blender with some white wine, and spread it on toast. Then there was this one where the whole recipe is just spreading some butter and honey on a baked sweet potato. That's it. Sweet, buttery, and all that. Great sweet potato. Happy cooking. With help from his daughter, Claudine, and his son-in-law, Raleigh Wieson, Jacques has posted more than 200 quick and simple recipe videos during the pandemic. And during that time, his super basic approach took on new importance. A lot of people turned to food pantries and other assistance programs during the pandemic. By some estimates, four out of 10 of those people were using those programs for the first time. So Jacques told me he's tried to make videos with ingredients that might come from those sources, things people may not know what to do with. My son-in-law, he told me, uh, you know, I don't know, a few months ago, you know, I, I'm bringing you some food for you to cook with. Canned salmon, canned chicken, canned whatever, things that, that I've never really used. He said, that's what they get in their package, you know, so do something with those. There is nothing wrong with, with using that, you know, as well as other things. It's new. You already learned something. You can also realize that if you have a, a good kind of tuna oil, a kind of uh, anchovies, uh, uh, some good sardine. I mean, you know, if I have a tomato, I slice, put some uh, sardine on top, a dash of vinegar and olive oil, so I have a great lunch, you know, so it doesn't have to be complicated. I hate to throw anything away. Often I use leftover, what my wife used to call fridge soup whatever is left over in the refrigerator, wilted lettuce to retrieve it, to show people. Uh, I think the part of economy in the kitchen is very, very important. One of the videos you made during the pandemic to teach people who were getting food from the food pantries right. was uh, with Spam. Oh, yeah, right. What What's the secret to cooking, some, cooking up some good Spam? You know, it's funny because I remember Spam during the war uh, in France. <clears throat> we had Cannes. My father was in the resistance occasionally. I guess he could get some kind of a sardine, whatever, from American soldier or wherever he could get it. And we had spam. And spam, we call it du singe for some reason, monkey meat. I don't know why we call it <laughs> this way, but this was a great treat, you know, to have it. And certainly my mother would do a lot with one can of spam. She would extend it with, uh, you know, cabbage or potato or to, to, to make uh, a lot about a little bit of uh, that type of protein. So there I did some steak of spam by putting a mixture, a bit of honey, maybe ketchup, sugar to glaze it into the oven. And it's fine. It's good. What do you think it is about instructional cooking videos that continues to keep people so interested? Because it's certainly with social media, there's only more and more and more of them and people still love them. What 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 is it? Well, I don't know. The one who don't like them don't <laughs> tell me. So, so, so opening an oyster, opening a clam. Poaching an egg, Basic sharpening stuff. a knife, right. sharpening all those are very visual, very, uh, the manipulation that you do with your hand uh, is very important and very visual. I mean, I take a knife and I take a stick of butter and I'll show you scraping it on top to do a rose with butter. If I have to explain that in word, it took me a page, put your knife parallel to the thing when after half a page, take, what is he talking about? Right, right. You see it, you say, oh yeah, yeah. The food, I mean, I used to poach an egg 50 years ago or 80 years ago in France, but you still poach the egg the same way. 
so those techniques have been used over and over again, and they don't become obsolete. The way you poach an egg hasn't changed. But Jacques says in the years since he was a young chef, he's changed a lot. And for him, that's not just about cooking. It's more of a life philosophy. As a young chef, you tend to add more to the plate, to add, to add, to combine, to add, to... And uh, older as I am now, you take away, take away, you know, yes. to be left with something more essential and uh, without too much embellishment. I Is it that's... better? Better or not? It's not really better or not, but it's different. I think that's so true, and I think that's true of the creative process in all different ways. Yes, probably. This is probably like a pretentious reference, but like Nietzsche's first book... He said after he wrote it that it was way too wordy. He was just trying to impress people with how smart he was. He put as many big words and long sentences in there as he could. And as he got older, it got more and more direct. That's 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 true. That's true. But you know, I find that uh, in the kitchen, certainly doing a dish now, there is a kind of minimalism maybe that I didn't have before. If I have a good olive oil, I saute that. I cook it less. I finish it up. I say that's it. That's enough. I don't need anything else. And. Uh, Maybe in the way I dress also, maybe in the way I do other things, I don't really realize, but probably follow that in certainly the way I paint. Jacques has been painting for more than 50 years. He likes to listen to music while he does it, have a little wine afterwards. He paints rural landscapes and farm scenes with lots and lots of chickens. Maybe images that remind him of the farm where he spent that summer when he was six. It's interesting, just th- listening to you talk about your creative process, cooking, and your art as well, it's it's reminding me, um, I was reading this article recently about Paul McCartney's new album. Right. Oh, yeah, right. And it talked about, like, it was kind of making the point that, that for decades now, he has sort of just been experimenting. He'll try this style. He'll play with that band. He'll play this instrument. Then he'll try that instrument. He's also someone who's dabbled in art and just... I, I think that, that sometimes there's too much focus on the idea that you have to be like a, an expert or a specialist at one thing. And sometimes like a creative life is more just about exploring. Right. I mean, you don't, there is no ultimate, you know, you cannot reach and this is it. You're the greatest. No, not really. Uh, and someday you're better than another day. You know, someday it doesn't work too well. Sometimes when I start a recipe, the recipe takes hold of me and start moving in a direction that I didn't think would go. Likewise with heart, maybe even more so with heart. I start planning something, I have an idea, and sometimes it morphs into something quite different. It's interesting because I look at painting that I did in the 60s and I'm kind of amazed. I would never be able to do that now. I'm not saying that it's better or not as good or this. I'm just saying that I, I would not be able to do that. I wouldn't even know where to start to do it this way. I would love to be able to test food that I did when I was in apprenticeship 50, 60 years ago. All you have left is the food memory, which can be very powerful, but you don't know the way it was. It's true, you don't know the way it was when you cooked that dish all those years ago. But there are ways to hold on to memories of food and people. At this point, Jacques brings me into his living room, to his walls of bookshelves, floor to ceiling, crammed with sun-faded spines. I have here, I can show you, I have 12 big books here. Those books are book of menus. Jacques pulls one of these books of menus off the shelf. It's big and heavy, like a high school yearbook. He flips through the pages. In 1970, 68, something like that, my wife and I, when we had people coming to the house, we wrote the menu, and people signed on the other page saying funny things or whatever. Too. Jacques and his wife, Gloria, were married for 54 years. As a young couple, they began a tradition, making books of menus. 
When they had people over for dinner, Jacques would write up the menu, all the courses they were serving, and paint decorations on the page. The book he's showing me is one of a dozen of them, from dinner parties going back 50 years. He's hand-painted bright red cherries, shellfish, kitchen utensils. There are finger paintings from when his daughter was four years old. Each menu is signed by the people who attended the dinners. I see my mother in it, my two brothers, many people who are gone now uh, are in those books. So Gloria died in 2020, but Jacques continues the menu tradition. You look at this one, it's Labor Day, so it's not uh, long ago. This one was uh, September. Salad, niçoise, uh, uh, chicken tenders. Yeah, 21. <laughs> and here is, uh, this is one in, uh, this is just a few days ago, creme de champagne, black yeah, chanterelles. Yeah, creme de champignon with black chanterelles. Champignon, right. A pork shoulder, but bread with sweet potato, petit pois la française, salad, cheese, fruit, ice cream, coconut cream pie. We had Ooh, coconut Alan, cream pie. Alan Scott. This is making me want to write down menus when I have people Absolutely. over and have everyone sign it. You know, you have kid? Yeah. Right, so you know, what did your kid eat for the first, for when he was a year old? What was the dinner? The first, his first Christmas, his first Thanksgiving, his second one, his third one. Oh, I could show you there, Claudine doing the menu, drawing the little chick on herself for her third birthday with all of her friends. Sign it there. She was three years old. So those are. Those are great memory that you cannot. Uh... I, I love that. Like some, I, when I can see looking around your home, that you have a lot of pictures, and some people look through picture books to to reminisce. Yeah, I do too. I I love that you look through <laughs> menus. Oh yes, absolutely. So, yes, those are important to me. How, how does it feel when you look back through those? Well, there is a great deal of emotion. You know, sometimes depending on the on the occasion, it's a, a world of memory, you know, for those great meals that you share with your friend or your family. Those books are my whole life. After that, Jacques put his menu book back on the shelf, and I turned off my recorder. Then he offered me a glass of wine. Now, I'm not a big wine drinker, but when Jacques Pepin asks you if you want to have a glass of wine with him, you say yes. He opened a bottle of white and did something that I thought was a huge faux pas. He put ice in his wine glass and offered me some in mine. Ice in wine. I don't think this is how they did it at Le Pavillon. But let me tell you, it was delicious. Best wine I've ever had. And yes, I took a picture of the bottle. It was Chateau de Roche Sauvignon Blanc 2019, which sells online for 15 bucks. So I don't think it was the wine. I think it was the ice. And since then, I've been drinking white wine on the rocks on the regular. I ordered it at a restaurant and Janie was like, I don't even know who you are. And then I said, look, I learned it from Jacques Pepin. My thanks to the one and only Jacques Pepin, chef, TV personality, and teacher. He's the author of many books, most recently Jacques Pepin, Quick and Simple. And he does lots of work with the Jacques Pepin Foundation, which supports free culinary training for people with high barriers to employment. And hey, if you want to make menus of your own dinner parties, you can check out his book from a few years ago called Menus, a book for your meals and memories. He painted the pages and left space on each one for you to fill in your own menus and memories. If you want to see some photos of Jacques' menu books, his wall of pots and pans, and more from our taping, I'll post pics on Instagram. Follow me there at The Sporkful. 
Reminder to get tickets for our live show in San Francisco in March with Kenji Lopez. All go to sporkful.com slash live. Next week on the show, the story of one of the only cookbooks to exist in the Soviet Union. In fact, it was so universally known, it was just called The Book. That's next week. Finally, don't forget to send us your questions. What's bothering you? What weird, quirky cooking question do you have for us? Send a voice memo with your name, where you're from, and your question. Email it to us at hello at sporkful.com. Thanks. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer... Emma Morgenstern. And producers... Andres O'Hara. And... Johanna Mayer. Our editor is... Tracy Samuelson. The show is mixed by... Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Rose in Minneapolis, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.